Peter R. Bregan, M.D., is called the conscience of psychiatry for his many decades of successful reform efforts. His scientific and educational work provide the foundation for modern criticism of drugs and ECT and lead the way in promoting more caring and effective therapies. His books include Talking Back to Prozac, Toxic Psychiatry, Medication Madness, Psychiatric Drug Withdrawal, and now Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety, Understanding and Overcoming Negative Emotions. Welcome to the Dr. Peter Bregenauer. Welcome, welcome, welcome again to the Dr. Peter Bregan Hour. This wonderful smiling face you're looking at is Nick Hudson from way across the world in South Africa. Um, this is a, a man who, like so many of us, um, really wasn't doing anything that would have much to do with COVID-19 or vaccines or what I call global predators. Um, he's a, a South African actuary, and um, you know he's kind of an investment guy. He does uh, private equity investing. I don't think I've ever had a friend before that does private equity investing. It's a another uh, another world. Um, and um, he has co-founded an organization called Panda, P-A-N-D-A, capital letters. And Panda is doing work around the world. They have a huge volunteer network, a couple of hundred people. They're trying to put statistical truth and reality into the world of COVID-19. Is that fair? 100%. 100%. Not only only statistical truth, but truth in general, trying to bring reality into a world dominated by what can only be described as noisy propaganda yes yes the one way i wouldn't say it's noisy is that it all has the same theme which is basically take down the western democracies i think that's the the basic underlying theme that makes sense out of it uh uh, let me jump right in i mean uh, i feel like australia is about to be swallowed by a communist china um, and that a lot of our work has just tracked almost every single one of the um, supporters of the, uh, you know, the conventional story of COVID-19 back to having more interests in, um, in communist China in world domination, world manipulation than they have in freedom or um, none of them ever mentioned the even the Americans like Bill Gates uh, or Fauci, they never mentioned the Bill of Rights or the Constitution. Uh, they basically protect China and stuff. Have you, do you have that sense of that going on in the world? And do you, and if not, that's fine. Um, and do you think that Australia is in danger? And are you in danger? We feel the American democracy as it's represented by patriotic, freedom-loving citizens is really in danger. What are you thinking at this point? Yeah, the the way we see see things is there's very much uh, a a drift towards centralization um, of control and power that goes up to the global level. Um, And it is fundamentally anti-democratic, but uh, more importantly, it's authoritarian, which means illiberal. 
Um, so all of those institutions that you mentioned, which are the bedrock institutions of uh, liberal democracies, are being eroded very rapidly, uh, in some places faster than in others. So you mentioned um, constitutions that are liberal, like the United States one. You mentioned, uh, I think, free speech. Um, all of these things are under attack um, and under a very concerted attack. And it's under the guise of a pandemic that has been propagandized. Um, mm -hmm. Right. That was the disturbing thing that kind of got me going right at the beginning. And, you know, the Panda started off as a small South African operation. It's now a truly global organization. Um, but the 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 strong uh, and and kind of very dark sense that I had right from the beginning was there was this massive discrepancy between the way the media projected the story of this virus and what was evident in any of the data that you looked at, any. Everything mm -hmm. you looked at was inconsistent with this drummed up hype, the, the, this very fear-mongered and weaponized kind of propaganda. And then the, 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 the next thing you notice as soon as you become one of the people who starts asking questions is how coordinated and concerted the uh, censorship and narrative control is and the lengths that these people are prepared to go to in terms of smearing and silencing opposition. When you put those two things together, if you're a vaguely intelligent human being, you <laughs> join the dots quickly and conclude that this march towards centralization is putting um, our creative and generative um, Western democracies at great risk. And yes, to answer your question about Australia, <laughs> the situation there is, I mean, I, I'm smiling and kind of laughing because it's just hard to fathom how quickly that place has come unstuck and how mad they've all gone. You know, this is a country um, that just a few months ago was looking, okay, maybe they were, they'd taken a few too many um, blue pills and they were a little bit woke and a little bit uh, in favor of a whole lot of pretty weird postmodern narratives. Um, and there were signs kind of, of uh, restrictions on free speech and so on emerging. But for the most part, it looked and felt like a liberal democracy. And at the moment, you, you're correct in your observation that there are now pronounced signs of it looking a whole lot more like communist China. Yeah, I think the, I think their leadership from my conversations with Australians, some of them under Dr. Peter Bregenauer, um, looks like it's bought or intimidated by the communists. and. Uh, Western Australia, where they have the mining operations and China has uh, built an airport capable of handling the largest bombers, um, they, uh, uh, they really seem under the thumb of the Chinese. Um, one detail I got, and I think it was the city of Perth, is that <clears throat> when you go to the airport at Perth, um, the first language you hear 
in the announcements is Mandarin followed by English. And I asked the wonderful person I was interviewing about that. How long has that been going on? He said, well, I think it's years. I mean, we, <clears throat> we've been, we've been dealing with that for years. And, uh, I thought to myself, what would it feel like to go to our local airport and we hear Chinese as the first language yeah. <laughs> giving instructions. So, um, I, I, I can imagine all of those things being, um, uh, fairly longstanding. Um, but the one sense I've had in all of this is, you know, the, the, there is a faction in the skeptical community, let's call it, um, that kind of seeks to pin the blame on China. Um, I mean, I think China's implicated in the whole deception, but to me, the origination country is the one you live in. Yeah, well, that 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 is very interesting and um, certainly would have been the view I had when I first began. Um, I thought, uh, well, you know, Bill Gates is a big deal in this. Look at Fauci. My God, look at the CDC, NIH and so on and on. And um, then I began to notice these kind of very weird things going on. For example, when China uh, released the virus, whether accidentally or purposely, we make a strong argument. Uh, I actually had to stop the press on the book and reevaluate it with Ginger. And, and we finally concluded that the high probability was an intentional release by China, um, which in a way becomes almost irrelevant because China then intentionally spread it around the world. They shut down their own traffic and then sent up to 500,000 passengers to the United States, among other places, though. Uh, and that's only the direct traffic because they can't measure the stopover traffic uh, spreading the, the disease to the U.S. And then I saw things like Fauci apologizing for that, covering it up, uh, claiming continuously that that um, that the virus could not have come from a lab in China, that it came from nature. And I began to look around and never has been a SARS-CoV uh, found in nature, never. Not even with the first epidemic going way back. And there have been four releases accidentally of it in China back in 2003-04 of SARS-CoV. They were making in their labs around the time a little later than the, the initial pandemic. And then I would see uh, Bill Gates uh, talking about how China now has reached zero patients at one point, no more COVID, and giving a mathematic, bizarre mathematical calculation to show how they could have done that and how the Chinese system was working better than the US system. And then it, uh, it all began, in fact, with this question of China because Fauci, was uh, we discovered, which is what got us into it initially, Nick, was that Fauci was funding um, gain-of-function research with the Chinese communists at the Wuhan Institute. And uh, he had a, uh, it was a paper published in 2015 when supposedly Fauci was supposed to be under a moratorium from uh, um, from President Obama saying, wait, we're holding up on, we're not doing these things right now. There was a lot of scientists were complaining about gain of function. And I noticed that nobody was complaining about in anywhere that I could find about the U.S. and China making uh, biological weapons together. Fauci, so, 
So I could I, go on for quite a while. So I'll stop yeah, now. Yeah, no, I think no, no. China is the ultimate power and that all, well, I'll, I'll do one or two more sentences and then finish up. The, uh, all the, every single global predator that we name in the book, which is uh, all the top American um, billionaires, all the top American tech companies, pretty much all the major corporations internationally are profoundly involved with communist China as their market. And all of them, not all of them, many of them attend conferences put on by Klaus Schwab, which honor the Chinese premier, or by Mike Bloomberg, which honored the Chinese premier. And then I'll finish up with this, because I think this is uh, one of the most important issues there is. Is China really the force? I think China is so much the force, they're just going to eat Bill Gates for lunch once, once he succeeds in helping them overcome America. Um, it's, uh, in November of 2020, after it was uh, apparent that uh, Trump was going to win the election, which I do believe was fraudulent, but the, when they thought that, the, that Trump won the election, uh, Michael Bloomberg holds an international conference. Um, it's um, you know on video, and. Um, like the conference he held the year before during the Trump administration in 2019 is co-sponsored by the Chinese Communist Party, the single co-sponsor. It's an organization that is the heart of, you know, it's owned by the Chinese Communist Party. And in both cases, Xi Jinping makes appearances, big grinning guy. Um, in both cases, they are pushing China, not the U.S. This is Bloomberg. It's you. You know him better than I would. I mean, God, you must know so much about Bloomberg. I don't know about. And um, in the uh, in the in the one that they do just after Trump is uh, is not reelected, um, they have the Clintons. They've got. Um, I list about 20 major corporations supporting it. And what are they supporting? What's the theme? It's recoupling with China. The theme is recoupling with China. So I could go on a long time about this, Nick, and I do think it's an important difference. Uh, um, I think that the fact that they could make get all get so rich on China and believed that China was going to overtake America. I think they still think it will, but they got such a bloody nose from Trump, and then they got a real bloody nose with their own economics now, and they're going into kind of a, a periodic failure, um, as as all uh, authoritarian regimes, uh, you know, they can't manage their markets. You know more about that than I do. So, no, I think that China is vastly important here, and that China is going to take over Australia. And there'll be there'll be Chinese soldiers there, eventually. I think that is going to happen if we don't wise up. So, what do you think about that? Okay, so and the, the book. Wait, the book. <laughs> I mentioned my book. I don't think uh, COVID nineteen and the global predators really goes into this, and it is around the world now. It's a bestseller. It's around the world. You can get it on any of the major outlets. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, a couple of things. I think the, the 
this whole militarized response to pandemics has a very long history. And it's uh, embedded in the intelligence agencies and defense agencies, not just of America. Um, this kind of alternative universe um, where all of the standing guidelines for not just how to manage respiratory viruses, but how to manage public health in general. You know, the foundational documents of the World Health Organization, the Alma-Ata, um, Syracuse Principles, Nuremberg Codes, all of these very uh, refined and weighty constructs um, all talk to exactly the opposite of the militarized response. And mm -hmm. yet you see in this whole string of kind of planning sessions involving thousands and thousands of people um, over decades, you know, uh, this alternative response being prepared and being marketed in the form of movies like Contagion. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a long pedigree of, I would call them crackpots, who are talking, uh, talking each other up into a, into a storm about an idea which I call pandemicity. Now, pandemicity is this notion that pandemics, uh, lethal pandemics, have become inevitable because of two things. They, they cite two things. The one they cite is uh, increasing contact between humans and animals. And the other one is higher concentration of people because the world's population has been growing. But the first one is kind of a, a very bad intellectual move because the whole world has been urbanizing. We don't have contact with farm animals, which is where the majority of zoonoses emerge. I mean, yes, bats are a, a sort of a, a plausible reservoir, but try the domestic pig, you know? So as you urbanize, you have less contact with farm animals, less, con less contact with animals in general. And as the world becomes more connected and uh, people have more contacts, more, you know, more densely networked, um, well, what's going on there is that if a virus is evolving out there somewhere, it gets spread around very quickly. And so you, you don't have like naive populations to any uh, rapidly, any transmissible virus. This kind of bogeyman that gets served us to, up to us in the media and, and even by epidemiologically inclined people is of a novel virus, a new virus to which we are all susceptible. And they use this phrase, we are immunologically naive. And that's not possible. <laughs> Viruses are like any other organism, they evolve. They come from something similar to what they are. And it's not the case that if you switch a few genes on the, the DNA or RNA of a virus, that the human body just stops recognizing it altogether. We have what's called broad epitopal recognition. And so the whole bogeyman of the new virus and of naive immune, immunological systems that, you know, we're all going to die, that kind of mindset is completely bogus. So that, that very idea of pandemicity 
um, which, by the way, don't go and look it up in a dictionary because I, I, I couldn't find, I needed a short word for a speech to describe the concept and I just made that up, I just coined it on the spot. So, but the very idea of pandemicity, I believe is absolutely worthless intellectually. Yet, you see these people walking into these conferences for decades. I'm not talking about, you know, 2019 and event 201. I'm talking decades. You see these people hyping each other up about the future pandemic, you know, and they're going to pandemics. We've got to we've got to accept that pandemics are going to be with us now. They're going to become more common, et cetera, et cetera. No, you know, if you want the right, the right time in history to be scared of pandemics was when Europeans began jumping on ships and going to places that hadn't seen any foreign visitors before. When the Europeans arrived in South America, loads of people died from a whole host of diseases. They wiped out, you know, it wasn't a military conquest. It was a conquest by disease. And that's because of the lack of connectedness. That could never happen today. So this, the, the trafficking in this false construct called pandemicity is ancient, really, compared to the COVID narrative. And the other very old line of thinking that I think is relevant here is this kind of uh, simplistic silver bullet approach to immune systems. This kind of idea that there's going to be a magic compound out there and if you salt human bodies with the magic compound, then some great improvement in human health will happen. Um, I, I think people, you know, you, if you just take a step back and forget about the immune system, but just talk about complex systems in general, anybody who tries to tell you that they've got the holy grail intervention for a complex system, whether it's an economy or the human brain or the immune system or an ecology. Anybody who tells you they've got the golden bullet is lying. Nobody can process all of the, you know, second order, third order, fourth order effects, the long-term effects, the, um, the, 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 the role of hidden information and new knowledge in the evolution of those systems. And so there's this very disconcerting feeling for me in the whole medical profession of a lot of people trying to look for the, the golden compound, the golden injection that's going to solve uh, some terrible problem when really the terrible problems that are being generated are actually caused by other types of centralist utopian interventions. And so it, it's sort of like layering, um, layering one stupid innovation or intervention, one stupid intervention upon another. And that seems to me to be obviously wrong. You don't have to know a thing about the immune system. Other than that, is, it is irretrievably complex. And for reasons we understand, we know why it's complex. It's complex because it's evolved over millennia. Uh, Millennia doesn't even begin to yeah. describe it. it, it it's evolved over billions of years. And it, it, something like that in a, in a, you know, in a, con, in a constant race and 
commensuality with all sorts of other organisms. And they are, are, are the very essence of our being is, is imprinted by these uh, influences over the eons. So to kind of get up one day and decide, you know what, I've got, I'm going to come out with a whole range of these silver bullets and they're going to cure all the health problems in the world. You've got to be smoking something. And when you combine these two dangerous ideas, the, the pandemicity together with this very atrophied, simplistic view of the human immune system, you, 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 you reach a very dangerous interventionist, utopian kind of point. And that point was, in, was reached, I believe, in the West a long time before the Chinese even got going on the idea. <clears throat> well, we have a very different view of origins, but not of the kinds of things you're talking about. Um, I think I would go back to your saying crackpots and um, and take that as maybe our, our potentially huge divergence. Um, in 2010, Drawing on a history of various kinds of thinking, perhaps, although I don't think uh, Bill Gates or Fauci are historians or Klaus Schwab maybe a little bit. In 2010, Gates announces the decade of the pandemic, of the uh, vaccines. Um, he does it with Fauci with him. He announces the creation of a new... Um, uh, counsel to support his work. Fauci is on it, signing off both as himself and as um, the head of NIAID. He has two UN groups involved, the World Health Organization and UNESCO. And then he uh, very quickly has uh, nations involved and um, he's getting Norway backing him up and then eventually reaches to India and, and finally he's getting a lot of the West involved. He is making at that point a plan, a systematic, no crackpot, a systematic plan to use his power, which at um, that point um, was probably even greater than it is today because at that point he was teamed up and I'm forgetting a very famous uh, uh, man, you'll, you'll, you'll know his name, the biggest investor in the world, the greatest investor in the world, um, was teamed up with him as one of his uh, th three trustees of his uh, global group, and Bill and Melinda Gates and you know his name. He buys corporations. Buffett. Warren Buffett. You told Warren Buffett. And Buffett yeah. re recent. So Buffett was investing huge amounts of money along with Gates into the Gates Foundation, presenting an incredibly powerful group. By 2012, we've now found documents. It's two years later where the UN is approving Bill Gates's program to develop a worldwide response to the next pandemic. By 2016, Bill Gates is writing, uh, is developing the, the organization CEPI that you know about, um, which is a uh, 
a foundation, one more foundation, but this one has one purpose only, and that is to bring together industry and government for the financing of the great pandemic, uh, in particular, the financing of the vaccines. Um, he is at this point already working with Rick Bright of Barda, who will be eventually the person that in the deep state that prevents Donald Trump from letting uh, go of our stores of hydroxychloroquine and which would have aborted the entire concept of the epidemic. And he managed to stop them. He has to work with NIH. Um, Fauci is a part of the plan. Um, he has uh, he speaks about working with the FDA all the way back. 2017, the FDA tools up its plans for the uh, EUA, the um, Emergency Youth Authorization. Uh, Bill Gates now has a complete basis for saying that the drug companies will never uh, pay a dime, have no costs. In his uh, initial plan, which you won't find in his later plans for CEPI, he says twice, there's no cost to the drug companies. We can do away with that. And he also does a uh, presentation with the World Health Organization for CEPI through its uh, temporary uh, head at the time, but it's Bill Gates, saying again, there will be no cost to us. And he divides up the world with the World Health Organization. Basically, Gates is going to run the... Uh, financial development, scientific end, uh, development end, and who is going to set all the standards. And that mm -hmm. sets up for what happens to us. On the one hand, we have the all of the uh, big corporations, the medical groups that Gates has uh, given so much money to and has so much power with, lining up to work toward um, uh, the next pandemic being treated not with drugs, but with vaccines. And then you have who taking over, setting all the standards, which everybody then begins to support the AMA, with, uh, the, uh, the Lancet, and so on. And um, by the end of 2017, way before most people realize, um, the uh, um, Hop, Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, which is the Bloomberg School, it's another one of the major predators, puts out a, a booklet that goes around to it and it is read by all the and endorsed by many universities, predicting a coronavirus epidemic. I'm not talking about 2019. I'm talking about 2017. People don't know this. Um, and um, and so on. And everywhere we look, the Chinese are involved. At the very, very beginning, um, there are Chinese influences working closely with all these people. The Chinese CDC is at a number of these uh, infamous uh, uh, predictions. And then something else people don't know, that 10 days before Trump's inauguration, Fauci holds a, a worldwide conference. He's uh, the keynote speaker at George uh, Washington University, uh, co-sponsored with Harvard, in which he actually says that that uh, he has no doubt whatsoever Donald Trump is going to face a pandemic. Mm. And that's people don't know about that either. There's so much stuff that people don't know about. Meanwhile, communist China is already developing the concept of unrestricted warfare. Uh, they have been now at war with the United States for decades, while the United States has not been 
openly or systematically at war. They actually infiltrate our deep state so deeply that it's not until maybe within the last year that the people are starting under Trump, that people are beginning to realize China's enemy right now, the danger, not the USSR. Because the deep state, the Democrats are, you know, Russia, 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 which Trump had nothing to do with, and really covering up for Chinese communists. So we have books that come out, four or five books come out, many of them talking about how our deep state has been totally corrupted by the Chinese Communist Party. Then we have the head of our um, Joint Chiefs of Staff when Trump is in office, calling his co-head of the army and in um, China and saying, don't worry about Trump, we'll let you know if he's planning an attack on you. <laughs> we're talking about very deep. Yeah, we're talking about really deep things. And he was, he had no powers to join Chiefs of Staff to even do the things he was doing, but he got away with it all because America in its essential functioning had been so corrupted by the Chinese. Meanwhile, the Chinese have been developing SARS-CoV viruses uh, since at least 2002-03, um, since the first pandemic. They've had leaks of them. We have documents showing that they felt that the only real weapon they had against the all-powerful America was um, biological warfare. The Wuhan Institute's a biological warfare institute. People don't know the head of the Wuhan Institute is the head of the uh, their biological warfare program. The ties with China, these are not, there's no crackpots here. And okay, no, wait. Can well, I, let me, can let I, me finish, let me, one more sentence. Yeah. And I gave you quite a bit of time, so let me, That's let, fine. me let me give you one more sentence. Cause this is, I think something for the folks to really look at the two different viewpoints. Um, when Fauci gives all this BS that you just described, you know, this thing is gonna come out of nature, nature is gonna, uh, has been too interfered with. And you made, you made some brilliant insights I hadn't even thought about, which is the more we move away from farming, the less there's going to be the contact with the pigs who are far more dangerous than the, uh, than the bats. Um, so Fauci makes all those statements that you were calling crackpot. I don't think they're crackpot. They're in the service of the global predators, this global group of people closely united with China. Yeah. But it, I mean, let's call them crackpot ideas then, and 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 stay away from calling the people crackpots. I mean, it's um, planned. But, this is a this is yeah. this is more crackpot than Hitler. Yeah, um, yeah, and people always say to me, but you know, there are you really think there are these evil people in the world? And I always said, no, I don't think any of these people who have tried to launch utopian plans would ever have considered themselves evil. Their immediate followers would have thought they were great people, visionaries. Uh, the saviors of mankind. And they would have seen that in their, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure Bill Gates fancies himself for a Nobel Peace Prize, you know. Um, he, he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. So it's not a, you know, what makes things evil is, is the actions that, the, you know, the, the ill-conceived actions, especially when they're rolled out by people who fall for the centralist utopian you, the centralist utopia, you know, this has been a repeated pattern in history. Whenever, when it's not like it's sometimes a bad idea, it's always a bad idea. Yeah, well, and it's a power always, hungry idea. It's ultimately by yeah. people who, whether they're you want to call control. them evil or not, I call them evil. 
but if you don't want to, they're still driven by a, a need for power, much more than money. I don't think Hitler was out for money. I doubt if yeah, Genghis Khan yeah, yeah, yeah. was. It's power, yeah, money, power over human beings. Money is incidental to the control. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think there's a huge gap, you know, between your analysis and mine. Um, I, I, I look at it and say, okay, so there's nothing new under the sun. People are, there always are people who convince themselves that their utopia is going to work. This time is different. And you can see it in the language spoken at all of these organizations, whether you're looking at the WEF or the United Nations or the Atlantic Council, their own language, they're telling you why this time is different. This time is different because of AI, because of our technology. Now we are actually going to be able to control things from a central point of view. And you know what? As far as it goes, they're right. But where they're wrong, the problem that's never been solved and probably never will be solved is that you don't know what to do with the information and your control. It can only have disastrous outcomes. We do not know how to make decisions about complex systems, societies, uh, communities. Um, this is a great illusion, a great conceit. It's a hubristic kind of uh, rationale that they have um, allowed themselves to swallow. Uh, and you see it all over the place in the popular literature. You know, Yuval Noah Harari is one of the great uh, intellectual darlings of, of Davos. And he lays it out in his books, the story where, where he completely glosses over the, the reality that we've never worked out how to do anything with the information and the control, that that problem is yet to be solved, may never be solved, you know. So there they go. They, they find a, a reason why this time is different and why this time we are actually going to advance a great centralist agenda, solving many global crises. And they have their long list of largely fabricated crises. And it's not fabricated because they want to be lying to you. It's, it's fabricated because they get super excited every time somebody comes to them and says, here's another global problem for you guys to solve. And they get all hot and sweaty about the next problem. And before you know it, they've got a global risk assessment coming out every year with a list of broadly speaking, fabricated crises, to which guess what? They can only admit global solutions. So it's a, I, I do still see it as, you know, having listened to myself again, I do still see these people as very disconnected and very crackpotish in the way they look at the world. And I think a good many of them are sincere. Maybe there's somebody out there who's, who is seeing that this is the drift and using it to their advantage and manipulating the situation in a, in a very cunning and premeditated fashion, premeditated over decades. But I think for the most part, these people really believe their own, they've drunk their own Kool-Aid. And when do you think the distinction uh, is so important that these people are uh, not uh, evil. Why does that? I can tell you uh, why it matters to me that yeah. they they actually have evil intent, and what my evidence would be. But why do why why do you want to believe they're just like the rest of us, and the ball game is just they got too intense for them and they lost their minds or something? Um, I, I'm in the business <laughs> of having I'm in the business of having my mind changed as often as possible. So I, I, I try very hard to not be a person who wants to believe anything. You know, and if, if when yeah. convinced... And no, I'd like know, to change your mind on this one. <laughs> yes. No, no. And, you know, every single conversation I have with somebody who's studied this, 
and some you know somebody who I respect, like you, you know, you've done an enormous amount of work and everything. I, the, the, finding the points where uh, where the book makes me ask questions, I have nothing but gratitude for that because that's what every every good book does is it makes you it doesn't give you answers. It makes you ask questions. So I sit here and I listen to this and I say, okay, but there's degrees of emphasis here, and we mustn't ignore the intelligence agency and defense agency pedigree in these things. Oh, was absolutely that not. No, well, in fact, that's where we're looking now more deeply yeah. for is into yeah. that. There's some of that in the book. And uh, I mean, I was taking on those agencies way, way back because they were funding lobotomy back in the 70s. Yeah, well done mm -hmm. to you. Can, can, can I show one chart to you that I think is important? I sure. We have, we're going to speak about data, but I, I'm going to, so can I share screen easily? Is that? Uh... I have never done it before, so good luck. Yeah, okay, let me try. Share screen, here we go. Um, and I'm looking for, uh, let's just share the desktop, start sharing, and then I go, are you seeing that? Yes. Okay, so what this is, is the situation in Sweden over the last decade. And the blue bars are the number of deaths they've had in their population. And we've standardized that for this, the changes in the age structure of the population over that period, and even the gender structure because of their immigration. Um, and so there you have it. It's got this kind of very stable thing uh, with the average represented by that gray line. And then along comes, you know, Mr. Modler to tell Sweden why they should lock down. They must lock down because with this new deadly virus, they're going to have almost twice as many deaths as they normally have in a year. That's represented by the prediction in that orange bar. And by the way, most of those deaths are going to happen in just a few weeks. That's how, that's how lethal this whole thing is. So Sweden must lock down. Okay. But very famously, Sweden did not lock down. And that blue bar that you see over there is what they actually experienced, smack bang in line with um, their, their uh, typical experience. You know, nothing unusual about it at all. And it's a great graph. Reason, and we did it. Yeah, the, you did the, it. You the, got a graph up there. Yeah. The reason I, the reason I show that graph is if somebody, China funded by Barrick and Dazak and Fauci, they were funded. I'm not contesting the funding. There was funding and there were attempts to do gain of function research all over the place. Drosten involved as well. These, loads of these papers, many other scientists. There's lots of work being done on this thing, which you quite correctly point out was kind of outlawed by Obama. They all continue doing this research. They obsess over it under this very weird rationale that they're doing it in order to uh, study vaccines. You know, it's this kind of very spooky, uh, weird world that they live in. And they are, you know, when you when you listen to these people speak, and 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 try and think through their own uh, uh, obsessions, they are weird human beings. I'm sorry, but they just are all of them. You know, <laughs> but the. The, the the point is, if they, they went there, they spent their money and time doing this gain of function research, and this is the best they can do, a virus that if you do absolutely nothing or next to nothing, gives you an average year's mortality. It's hard for me to look at this and say this is a bioweapon. What I see 
The, the weapon is the panic. Countries that locked down and tore up the social fabric and stopped treating people before they turned blue and arrived at the hospital door. Countries that took the kids out of school and cut people out of their livelihoods and started moving old people who were sick into nursing homes instead of out of them. This kind of, when this stuff happens, people die and life gets worse. What we, what was, if there's a weapon here, it's the panic. If there's a weapon here, it's the propagandized virus, not the virus itself. And so well, I uh, let, let, let me come on in on that. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> not, we're not in too great a disagreement about that. You know, we, in the book, we have a whole chapter on the terrorization. Ginger's done very deep research on uh, the actual academic pursuit of uh, intimidation in the public health that, um, community and how well it dovetail with totalitarianism. So the public health people are just just perfect for the totalitarians. But let's let me look a little bit further about some of these um, issues. For example, about the virus as a weapon. Um, agreeing with everything you've said th thus far, except that you see, I see much more evil intent than you. The uh, the Chinese knew all along and Bill Gates knew all along that the coronavirus killed old people, old animals, impaired animals. They also knew that the vaccine was deadly because contrary to what people think, and we document this really clearly, there were multiple animal studies, some of them funded by Fauci, showing that the um, RNA and DNA vaccines should not even be tested on humans. One came out in 2020 when they were already moving into Operation COVID-19. One of them came out and it showed that, in fact, the vaccines in animals were so deadly that uh, you get such risks of re-exposure to COVID, what would happen to you if you were vaccinated, then there were also the vaccine injuries, the, that all are identical, basically, to the COVID-19 injuries because the Basically, they're giving you the COVID-19 spike protein uh, in the vaccine. So it's very similar to giving you COVID-19, uh, the worst of it, but not enough to develop immunity to it. It's just the, the spike. It's too limited to develop good immunity. So they knew all along that they were developing a vaccine that was not going to work well. They knew all along that the what they had created in the labs was going to mainly destroy exactly the people that these folks want to get rid of, the useless eaters, the old people, the uh, people who were injured already. When China released this, um, and uh, from its military facility, we have to remember this, Wuhan's a military facility. When they released it, <clears throat> one of China's hugest economic problems was their old people. Now, I don't know anybody that's picked up on this, and I probably said it, well, I've said it innumerable times, but there's no social security system in China. They had no capacity whatsoever to take care of their old people. The um, one, uh, the one child family, uh, the yep. two child family, all the abortions that that created uh, left them with hardly enough women to reproduce because they were, the families wanted to have boys um, to take care of them. And so China's left with this huge 
devastating number of old people. These folks, and this is where the evil is, these folks don't care about killing a lot of Chinese, just as long as it's the right Chinese we're killing. A, a group that's a danger, a group that's a burden. This is the history of the Chinese empires, and of course it's Marxism completely. Marxism, the countries that come under Marxist control, they're murderers, they kill their own people, they kill anybody else. They do, they do more destruction to their own people. The Russians probably killed more of their own people uh, for the Marxist purposes, central planning, than they uh, killed Jews and Germans. Um, so this was a good weapon for China. I, I agree yeah. it was not the ideal biological weapon necessarily, but it was perfect for China. And they knew that it would that they could then use vaccines, which would be just as harmful. So you have a one-two punch, two weapons. First you have the weapon of the... Um, uh, virus, then you have the created in a lab, no question about it, collaborative US-Chinese, this side of the Chinese lab, and you have the weapon of the uh, vaccines. And all of this begins to look very intentional. These folks, they don't care about killing people. You can see the silly grins on Gates's face when he talks about it in videos. And well, of course, if we got rid of the people, <laughs> we'd have zero emissions. Um, yeah, he does. He does. The, the, I've also noticed that yeah. the way he so laughs think, after yeah. he talks about bringing in a sm the new smallpox. There was the recent one, or you know, some. He talks about you know the next pandemic. He kind of gets this weird smile on his face, like this is all very satisfactory. You know. Yes, <laughs> it's very strange. About all of this. It, but, is, you know, it is. Just to tie, and, to tie yeah. up what I'm saying, Nick. If we don't realize that hardly any of this is haphazard, we've got to realize it's no more haphazard than than Hitler writing a book about, uh, you know, basically killing Jews and then killing Jews or uh, making all this living room for the Germans by killing the Poles and the Russians and everybody else. And also the fact these people are godless. I have no idea where you stand on I, that. But the fact yeah, these I people are godless is not accidental. They don't have a superior morality of any kind to, to hold them in. And the Chinese, their official religion, as uh, people don't realize, it's atheism. They do have a religion. It's called atheism. Um, so I think that, that one of the ways I would, uh, I'm, I'm just sort of like leaning on you about a little bit, maybe too much, <laughs> is, uh, is that they have evil intention. They want so, to cull so you, you this, cull humanity, a, yeah. limit humanity, and look at everything they do, not as some stupid, horrendous mistake, because that's how I viewed it, and everything they're doing ends up with destroying Western values, Western democracy, increasing social control, culling the world of certain kinds of people. So I'm seeing it, and I never wrote anything, you know, I've been a medical expert in over 100 cases, state, federal courts, Canadian courts. They would go over all my books. They could never discredit me as a conspiracy theorist. I never thought I'd be even thinking this way. I think the data reminds us that Hitler was, a, was very carefully planning what he was doing. Okay, and so, Stalin uh, and Mao and the whole bunch of them. Yeah. So uh, f first thing, I have no feeling uh, of being lent against, as you. Okay. As you put good. It. Leaned it's, against. It's, Leaned. Uh, yeah. It's um, yeah. It's it's really. Because I love what you're doing. Your work's incredibly important. But go ahead. I'm going to sit back yeah. now. 
Yeah, no, for me, if if, if uh, people who think very hard about some problem get together and agree on everything, then they've probably got something wrong, you know. Um, By the way, we I have kind of, about eight minutes left, and yeah. I'd like to give most of it to you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I have a discipline of at the end of the, end of the year, trying to think about, um, you know, what big things I was wrong about at the beginning of the year, because if you haven't got a list of those, then you aren't learning anything. You know? I mean, I was wrong about everything about what I'm telling you. I, I never, never thought that way. Yes. Yes. No, I got it. Now, so let me just give you a couple of other things. I agree with you. Some, the, the, we've been, <clears throat> there are forces taking aim at the most precious elements of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Yes. I speak often about the God-shaped hole in the middle of our societies, but I trace it back in time to an era that way predates the ascendance of China, for example. You know, if, if I, I believe that the whole post-bond construct is responsible for a lot of this undoing because it removes people from even the idea that there is such a thing as reality uh, if you don't believe that there is reality, then how can you possibly discipline yourself to well, make your thoughts correspond absolutely. with reality? Yes. And that has been an enormous problem here because the other idea that's a fellow traveler of the irrationalism of postmodernism is the idea that in the absence of any you know, verifiable truth, what wins is the loudest voice, the person who shouts the loudest. And you see the casualties all around you today of exactly that idea that, you know, if somebody disagrees with you, but it's because they're, they're on the wrong side and then they need to be censored and thrown into Twitter jail or real jail. Um, that's the way of dealing with the dissenting voice. You smear them and you, you don't, there's no obligation felt to go and address their arguments because they don't, you know, you just, what you're yeah. doing is you're just representing your truth and manipulating your data to come up with an answer that suits your hegemony or your hierarchy or whatever the case may be. Now, those ideas are very pernicious ideas that go back decades and they've crept into our societies. And where did they come from? They didn't come from China. They come from within. Maybe some of the ideas come from our enemies without, but for the most part, We've allowed a whole lot of things to go wrong in our own societies. And guess what? Centralization is one of them. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's been a gradual creep of um, not just an increase in the size of government, but an increase in the centralization of its architecture. And that's probably even more pernicious. Think about how states' rights in the United States have been eroded over time. Mm -hmm. The same things happened in here where I live, here in South Africa, you know, over, over the last hundred years, that's because that's the kind of time scale you need to look at. Uh, little independent countries formed together a union. And the, that union was probably a pretty ridiculous idea in the first place. And that union has now got a highly centralized um, political architecture. We don't even have proportional, uh, we don't even have um, Sorry, I'm getting my, I'm, I'm losing my uh, political science terminology. We, we don't have a representat representational democracy. So you don't vote for a local senator or, a, you know, a, mm. a local governor. You vote for a party that then appoints the whole hierarchy. So it's a highly centralized system. 
And that has been an utter bloody disaster. Mm. So there's this drift in our own societies towards oh, centralization and all the woes that come with it. And then there's a rush to control these grand hierarchies. Nothing new in that. And a bunch of people who do it for, you know, their, their various own special delusions of grandeur, some for money, some for a Nobel Prize because they've already got enough money, some for a, um, uh, a dream of power, a vision of power. And those people then become, when something like this is afoot, they all look like they're behaving in a highly coordinated fashion, but really they're actually just responding to incentives and, and um, uh, they, they share um, some common beliefs and so they cooperate on some things. Um, yeah, I, I think it's dangerous to locate in, in a complex phenomenon like this to try too hard to locate the, an epicenter, a single focal point. There are multiple factors, and I agree with you. China being a highly centralized state is one of them, definitely. And I would, those systems to me are evil. I agree with that. And their atheism is short-sighted, sighted, and blind. Even for people, even people without metaphysical convictions should be able to see that. If, unless you, you know, really don't think about society or history. Um, so yes, it's horrible. I, I did a lot of business travel to China. Hated it. Couldn't stand the feel of that society. Absolutely horrible. And it's not because I don't like Chinese people. I've had plenty of interesting engagements with Chinese people. They're great. You go to Singapore and meet a Chinese trader. They're fantastic. They're the best hustlers in the world. They're the best entrepreneurs. They're the best. They're hardest work. They've got great work ethic, etc., etc. No, no problem with them. But that system was just absolutely horrible. I couldn't stand it. I could never, I wanted to get out of there as soon as I arrived. And it was a lot to do with that, that feeling of kind of, well, all the sense of human agency, of the, the value of the individual, of the, you know, let's call it the, the, the weight of the human soul, you know, has gone. It's, it's, it's evaporated in China. And so I, I have these lively feelings, but I also look, at the absolute drivel which has infiltrated our university systems and our school systems over decades and that again where does that come from it doesn't just come from nowhere that comes from organizations like unicef and you know um they, they have these ideas about what and how people should be taught so the, the complex the, the problem is highly complex and I, I think you see the work that you're doing and, and uh, is very valuable because it's at least talking to, it's well, at, at the very least, it's talking to one phenomenally important component. And we can ask questions around the border of it. So for example, is, are we dealing with a problem of Chinese fetishism? You know, I, I look at Bloomberg and Schwab and Gates and Fauci and I see people who kind of have a fetish for the Chinese surveillance state. And I think they do. I think they're, uh, yeah. I think fetish but, trivializes a little bit, but they support that state. They well, uh, help them out with it and they do. They want it. They want to surveil the hell out of humanity. Nick, we're, no we're, we're, we're literally going to run up against the, the end of the show. Well, I, yeah, it's been um, great. Do you see hope? 
Of course I do. Yes, I'm. Uh, I, I am uh, uh, not. Not you know. I'm an in principle optimist in the sense that I I back humans to generate new knowledge. The future is for this reason fundamentally unpredictable. New knowledge, you know, if you could predict new knowledge. But with, be. let us end with, but with hope. And uh, we have great hope yes. here in a revival of patriotic Judeo-Christian oh. tradition, Americans and helping lead that the world and, back. And elsewhere in the world, yeah. Um, and absolutely. elsewhere throughout the world. Yeah.